Hello, and welcome to Come to Believe, the podcast, a show where we discuss the barriers to college and how we can reinvent higher ed for the better. Welcome, everyone. My name is Sam Adams, and I'm CTB's COO. On today's podcast, CTB President and CEO Steve Katsuris hosts a discussion about the Dream.us, a scholarship program that provides financial support for undocumented students enrolled at partner colleges, including Arupe College. Steve talks with Dream.us co-founder Don Graham, President Candy Marshall, and past scholarship recipient and Arupe alum Mario Bermejo about the history of the Dream.us, its current priorities, and the challenges facing undocumented students today. With the recent ruling against the DACA program by a federal judge in Texas, this topic and conversation are as urgent as ever. We learned a lot from Don, Candy, and Mario, and we think you will too. Hello, my name is Father Steve Katsuris. I'm the president of the Come to Believe Foundation and Network. And today we are speaking about the Dream.us. The Dream.us was created to help undocumented immigrant young people get access to a college education. And the Dream.us has been an extraordinary partner at Arupe College, where I was the founding dean. Today, we'll be speaking with Candy Marshall, who is the president of the Dream.us, with Don Graham, who is a co-founder of the Dream.us, and with Mario Bermejo. Mario was one of my students at Arupe. He's a graduate of Arupe College of Loyola University of Chicago. And again, we are delighted to have this conversation this afternoon with, with just uh, great friends. So uh, let's begin. Candy, Don, Mario, can you each tell me uh, about your personal backgrounds and your connection to the dream.us? Candy, why don't you get us started? All right, I will be happy to do so. I have had the honor for the last 10 years to work with Don Graham, who is our founder, and our colleague Gabby Pacheco in creating and watching the Dream.us grow to serve now 10,000 undocumented immigrant students, which is just astounding. Prior to that, I spent a good period of time at the Gates Foundation. They're really working on global health equity issues. And then before that, I've spent lots of times with organizations here in Seattle that have been focused on education and health equity issues for children. So as you hear from that, young people are near and dear to my heart. Thank you for that, Candy. Don, how about you next? Well, uh, I'm from what we call the other Washington. I've spent my whole life in Washington, D.C., which, as Father Steve knows, I think we all know, is a city with about a third professional, wealthy, middle-class people and a lot of very poor families, always has been. Uh, I've worked in, tried to help the education system at Washington, D.C., the K-12 school system all my life. And I, I ran a scholarship program for uh, public and charter school graduates here in Washington. As that was ending, uh, I met some students whom we were unable to help because they were undocumented. This meant that they could not get any federal funds, any federal grants like Pell Grants, which low-income students absolutely depend on, and they couldn't borrow. Uh, 
assent. They couldn't borrow from the United States government and no private companies loan to students anymore. So these students, because they were the children of undocumented immigrants, were effectively had no chance to go to college. I sat, tried to listen to them as Candy did. And uh, uh, 10 years ago, a group of those students and some others gathered in a, in a meeting room with me. And we, uh, this was 2013. We're not, we weren't quite as naive as this sounds, but when I first talked to Candy, this is what I said. We're gonna start a scholarship fund for undocumented students. We really think that in three or four years, Congress will solve this problem. They're gonna pass something called the DREAM Act and open up college resources to all these students, give them a path to citizenship. But in the meantime, we're gonna send as many students to college as possible. 10 years later, Candy and I would both say this, that's less likely now than it has been any time in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's so equally fabulous. The politics has gotten much worse. And uh, uh, so that's where we that's where we came from, Father Steve. Thanks for that, Don. Mario, last but not least, your your connection to the dream.us. Yeah, so uh, my name is Mario Bermejo. I was born in Aguascalientes, Mexico, came to the U.S. at a young and conscious age of one and a half. <laughs> uh, resided in beautiful city of Chicago and basically have been here my whole life, right? Uh, my connection to the dream.us is that I'm essentially a product of your great generosity. Uh, I was a dream.us recipient. I believe I applied when I was in high school and that transferred over to when I was uh, went to Arupe College, where I got my two years associate degree. And uh, and I essentially, this is what really uh, made higher education become a reality for me, right? Um, just your your generosity and as well as other Arupe associated scholarships is what really made um, college, uh, like I like I mentioned, a reality. All right, Mario, thanks for that. And we're going to hear more about uh, in depth your story in just a minute. But I want to go back to to, to Don. Um, you know, you talked about your work through the years in D.C. and focus on K through 12. What drew you uh, to focus, at least in this chapter of your life, on higher ed and supporting undocumented students? Well, uh, I have an odd answer to that question, Father Stephen. I think Andy would have a similar answer. I am a very old-fashioned kind of American. I believe in this country, and this country's always had plenty wrong with it. But I've watched over the years as civil rights laws were passed, as opportunities for women were made greater. And when I first met undocumented students and heard from them the obstacles that were placed on their road to higher education, I couldn't believe it. And I thought to myself, this is the kind of thing America does not do to people. What we are doing to these students like Mario is cruel. Uh, again, you heard Mario say he moved here when he was one and a half years old. You were a little younger than our average student, Mario, but our average student moved here out of 10,000 students when they were four years old. So they didn't have a great deal of say in the matter. And I thought, uh, and 
I, I feel like I, I was giving false promise to Candy when I said, we, you and I know we've seen our our government solve problems like this, but I, we both really believed that by now Mario would be on a path to citizenship, which he richly deserves, and that uh, that this problem for students like him would be solved. So it seemed to us, and, and I was lucky enough, I'd interview Candy for a different job as CEO of another nonprofit. And when we were going to found the dream.us, she was literally the first person I thought of to lead it. Terrific. Well, now I want to shift uh, to you, Candy. Can you walk us through the major components of the dream.us's work? So, you know, what are the, what, what's Dream.us's pri primary um, goals and objectives? Right, would love to. It was a happy day for me, by the way, when Don called. Uh, it's been such an honor to do this work and get to meet people like Mario. Uh, it's changed my life for sure. We, as Don described, we really, our raison d'etre is opening the college door for undocumented students. And that is something we always try to make sure that we do not lose sight of. But when we did that, we also realized that opening the college door, making it affordable, wasn't going to be sufficient. Our students were gonna need additional supports. And it's not that they are not academically prepared. It is not the academic journey that trips our students up. It is life as an undocumented person. A parent is detained or deported. The, the student has elderly care for family members, child care for family members. They're generally the family's transportation service. If they're in a car accident, they have insurance, but a high deductible can't fix the car. It's these kinds of life circumstances that make college difficult for them. So we realized that we needed to provide supports and the model that we fell upon, and we are so happy that we did, is a partner college model. Our students can only use our ward to attend partner colleges, and we select those partner colleges based on their commitment to serving this population of students. And it's no small commitment we ask of them. We ask that they close the gap between our award and the cost of tuition and fees, and often there is a gap, so they're making a financial commitment. Then we also ask that they have a team of people on campus that are working with our students, a scholar advisor. I refer to this person as a shepherd, a holistic advisor. They help our students navigate life as an undocumented person. Our students tell us in our annual survey that this scholar advisor is one of the single most important people in their persistence in college. So that model has evolved so too has the work that we support. So we realized great to get these students into college, but what happens after college? And of course our government has only increasingly made this more difficult. So we really have pivoted in some ways, still getting in the doors most important, but then now offering all kinds of career supports because there are career pathways available to these students, whether or not they have work authorization. I would also say we've expanded because we realize, Mario, this goes to you, how persuasive and important our scholars' voices are. 
And we have engaged in much deeper advocacy than we ever imagined. But in doing that, we're bringing our scholars' voices to the table so that we can convince both hopefully someday Congress, but also state legislators to provide equitable pathways. Thanks for that, Candy. All right. So what you were describing, um, you know, uh, sounds familiar in terms of uh, the work that we did and that continues to happen at Arup Bay College. Now, Don, I, I remember um, some early conversations with you. I arrived to start Arup Bay in 2014. I heard about Dream.us that winter. I think you and I spoke in 2015. When you first heard about Arupe, Don, what about our model did you find most compelling? I found every aspect of the model enormously compelling, Father Steve, because I come from Washington, D.C. Now, let me remind your listeners about one thing. We're not a state. So our students coming out of uh, a normal city K through 12 system were out of state everywhere, except at the University of the District of Columbia, which is a university with 3000 students, which is the right school for some graduates of our K-12 system, but obviously not for all of them. No one university is the right place for every graduate of a school system. We have uh, a typical assortment of two-year colleges surrounding Washington, some quite good, but one school system, one a community college, I'm sorry, one community college has 87,000 students. Not, uh, not a place where a student is likely to get close personal attention. Uh, one of the largest community colleges surrounding Washington, one to which thousands of students have gone, has a graduation rate all time of 6% of the students who have enrolled. So uh, the, the, uh, what I heard your model for Arupe, I thought to myself, a relatively small cohort, so personal attention to scholarship and counseling, uh, significant financial aid, uh, and uh, uh, helping not the top graduates of the city of Chicago public schools, but hardworking, good graduates but you you weren't admitting from uh, 3.8, 4.0 students. You were looking for students who had ability but hadn't fully recognized it in their in their K to 12 performance. I thought it was a fabulous idea. And I, I was jealous because I wanted such a thing in Washington, D.C., but I was very happy to support it to bring it into, to bring the dream.us into your life in, in Chicago. Well, it was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. And, you know, Candy, the dream.us has supported so many Arupe uh, students. I have pictures of you visiting, both of you visiting Arupe with your scholars. So Candy, what, what, what comes to mind when you think about Arupe and our students and your scholars? Well, the first I would say is all you have to do is look at Mario and tell you can see how incredible these scholars are. And then here's just another testimonial. As Arupe students have graduated, 
we have numbers of partner colleges in the Chicago area. They want our Arupe graduates. And I say that quite seriously. They call me and say, okay, how many Arupe graduates can we get this year to join our institution? And what that says to me is they recognize, we recognize the students that are coming out of Arupe are well prepared. Uh, they are very academically prepared, but also I think socially emotionally prepared. And part of that is Father Steve, Arupe does a really brilliant job of meeting students where they are and designing a program that recognizes their life circumstances. Many of our students work. It wouldn't surprise me a bit, Mario, to know that you worked when you were at Rupe. And Arupe's recognized that and designed a program that allows that and still makes it possible for them to earn an associate degree. And then the other thing I just have to mention what I, what I think about when I think about Arupe it's the sense of belonging. We have 80 plus partner colleges across this country and I do not know a one of them that has the sense of belonging that exists at Arupe. It's a family. That's great, thank you for that. Well, Mario, um, I think it's time to hear about your experience. So um, you were one of the students that Candy and Don and the Dream.us supported. Um, how did the dream.us um, impact your experience at Arupe? And then talk a little bit about what happened after you graduated from Arupe. Where did you go? What's been, what's been going on? Absolutely. Uh, well, the dream.us, as previously mentioned, uh, it made higher education become a reality, right? It was no longer emotion or a notion of a dream. Um, it helped my experience, my college experience drastically by not having to worry about, you know, financial aid, um, how am I going to pay for this semester's tuition, books, uh, but essentially all I really had to worry about was just, you know, working for my own personal expenses, really. So, you know, that only entitled basically, I believe it was Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, where we didn't have classes. So I only worked three days a week while I was in college at Arupe. So um, essentially that basically provided me, you know, a lot of flexibility, but a lot of um, academic flexibility as well um, in terms of not having to worry about financial aid. Once again, um, how am I going to pay for the semester? Um, but it takes just a huge weight off your shoulders, right? Knowing that, well, great people like uh, Mrs. Marshall and Don and obviously Arupe um, are really supporting, um, you know, undocumented communities and communities in need, right? Um, and essentially, after Arupe, I actually went to uh, Loyola University, Maryland. So I was out on the East Coast, um, right, a little bit higher, a little bit uh, north of D.C. area. And I was there for three years, um, not counting the COVID phase, um, lockdown, sending students back. But I did three years at Loyola, Loyola University, Maryland. I got my bachelor's degree in uh, mechanical engineering. And uh, two years, two and a half years later, I came back to Chicago. I'm back in Chicago now. I am working for uh, Mechanical, uh, for an engineering and architecture firm in the Chicagoland area, traveling throughout the U.S., um, you know, and I love to travel. I love the work that I do, for sure. So without, you know, generous people like the Dream.us, Arupe, um, can't say that I wouldn't be here, for sure. 
That's a great story. I'm so happy that um, Loyola, Maryland worked out, that engineering worked out, that you were able to return to Chicago and you, you know, you're doing what you were trained to do. Okay, let's go back to Candy. Um, so Candy said that Dream.us partners with, you said, 80 uh, colleges and universities uh, across the country. What characteristics are you looking for when you're looking for partner institutions? What defines an ideal partner university for the Dream.us? When we go into a community, one of the first things we do is talk with those in the community to find out, are there institutions that are already serving undocumented students? And I would say in our early days, there were some that were not, but yet ended up being really good partners. Today, many universities are focused on serving these students. But when we look at a partner college, we're really looking at one, that affordability commitment, of course, but infrastructure. Do they have in place the support programs to support low-income students, first-generation students, students of color? Because that describes the population of students that we serve. But one of the most important things I look for, Father Steve, and very much saw this in you at Arupe, is leadership commitment. Because we have found if we don't have the commitment of the president of the institution to the importance of serving this population of students, it just doesn't get done. And it isn't that people aren't well intended, it's just that there's so many priorities in these institutions that unless you have leadership commitment, there's just not gonna be that follow through. And then when we have that commitment, it, it, magic occurs. So we find that teams assemble. I love one of our partner colleges in Maryland State University in Colorado. They have an entire team that comes together on a monthly basis devoted to looking at pathways through the college for undocumented students, identifying what's getting in the way and addressing them immediately. So it's that real commitment to serve this population of students that makes all the difference in a good partner college versus one that is not. Thank you. So Don, you talked a little bit about, you know, Candy and you and your colleagues back in 2013, thinking that this will just be a couple of years and then uh, things will change. So we've all had to adapt. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how has post-secondary ed changed for undocumented students since you and Candy and others started the Dream.us? How has the Dream.us adapted during the course of the last 10 or so years? Well, Father Steve, I'm afraid the most, uh, the biggest change by far has been a negative one. And this uh, is not about the system of higher education. It's about uh, the, the law. Uh, Mario, I believe, has a status created by a fellow Chicagoan, Barack Obama, called DACA. Am I right, Mario? Yeah. And he, this DACA status permits him to have a work permit. Uh, and so he can go to work for any corporation in the United States. The students graduating from Chicago's high school today, I would guess that the class graduating in uh, May or June of 2024, fewer than 5% of the undocumented students will have DACA, will have any path to a work permit. Quite a few of them would have qualified for DACA but a federal judge in Texas has shut down new applications for that program. So, and, and you couldn't apply until your 15th birthday. So these students, look at Mario. 
came to the United States at the age of one and a half. And as he grew up, uh, did he have a path to become a citizen of the United States? No. Did he get that path when he was 16 years old? No. Uh, does he have a path at 26 years old? No. Uh, and the, the, the work permit offered by DACA was a very important step. It allowed Mario to start uh, a successful career. But that is, we, there are fewer options. There are good options available to today's college students. One of them, for example, is starting your own business. But they don't have the range of options that DACA recipients had. And DACA recipients, uh, as Mario will tell you, also have limitations on their freedom and no path to, to citizenship in this country. So I think that's the biggest change that, uh, that we've seen in our scholars. So, Mario, I'm going to ask you to build a little bit on that. When you were um, a student at Arupe, I remember this vividly, you were a leader of DASO, which is an acronym for Dreamers and Allies Student Organization. It was an advocacy group. And, um, you know, you were one of the leaders, and DASO continues at Arupe today. So thinking about some of the changes that Don just alluded to and your own experience, Think about undocumented students who are navigating higher ed. In your estimation, Mario, what are the most uh, urgent issues and concerns for these students? Yeah, so uh, Don really, he he basically touched on the point, you know, hit the nail on the head with what I was actually going to speak about. Um, and that is that, yeah, I've been, you know, gratefully I've been blessed with having DACA for the past 11 years and it's been awesome. It's you know, it's given me the ability to, you know, basically fortify and start off my career, uh, essentially go to college and, you know, uh, build build some sort of uh, belonging in this country, right? Mm -hmm. However, uh, Don basically really mentioned that by 2024, less than 5% will of the high school recipients will have DACA. And I think that is the biggest issue that undocumented students are facing today. And correct, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Ms. Marshall and Don, but uh, I believe the dream that U.S. in the beginning was probably for DACA recipients, and now it has transferred, transferred over to the broad majority of undocumented yeah. students, regardless of DACA or not DACA. But I think that is essentially the issue, the, the biggest issue that um, undocumented students are currently navigating in higher education is not having, uh, I guess, open an open uh, an open way to just apply to all types of scholarships regardless of uh, legality or not legality right and I know that when I started applying some of the scholarships required you to have DACA some didn't but if the undocumented community could just apply to all the scholarships that both DACA recipients are eligible and not eligible to apply to I think that would definitely um, lessen the load of um, of navigating higher education on the financial standpoint, but also Ms. Marshall brought up a great point, just the sense of belonging. If colleges and universities could uh, definitely bring a sense of belonging into their own communities by um, advisors, by, you know, having faculty, faculty that necessarily represents us, you know, people who, um, 
people of color, right? And also that people that uh, that are, are struggling financially, I think that's essentially uh, ways that we can mitigate um, undocumented students navigating through higher education, especially in predominantly white universities. All right, so Candy, let me ask you, what do you think the next frontier is for the dream.us? How do you and Don and others at dream.us how will you further your mission in the, in the years ahead? What are some of your, your major priorities? We're shifting our focus. And we're starting to help our students look at their entrepreneurial pathways. And there are pathways. So it, it's difficult right now because you have students coming out of high school and they're going to be asking, why go to college? It's expensive. It's going to be time consuming. I could get side jobs and help support my family. I'm not going to be able to legally work. Our message to them is there are very meaningful career pathways. You can work as freelancers, sole proprietors. You can start your own. So we're really working with our students right now to start to help them see themselves as their own business. So I'm just so excited in, in this fall term, we're gonna be bringing on a couple of different things. One, we're gonna create career communities that are career specific. So one, for example, science and tech. They will be led by undocumented entrepreneurs who have started their own businesses. And the students will be able to look at all of the different ways, paths that they might have to start their career and be able to have a very meaningful job, meaningful employment, and be able to lift themselves and their families, uh, both socially and economically. We are also going to be creating at the end of this uh, year, what we're referring to as an entrepreneurship academy. So we're gonna open an academy that our scholars can go through so that by the to graduate, they have, if not a complete business plan, the beginnings of a business plan, for how they will pursue their career. It has a plan, it's how they get capital, it's the legal structure that they can choose. If you would have asked me five years ago if we would be doing this kind of work, I would have said, oh no, that's, that's not our remit, that's not what we're about. And we realize today that has to be what we're about because these students are gonna graduate, they have much they can bring to our economy and our country. We just have to be innovative and creative in the pathways in which we're gonna do it. Thank you for that. I think you all know that Come to Believe, my organization now is tasked with um, replicating what um, was done and continues to happen at Arup Bay College. Uh, we're working with several universities now that are exploring our model, that are looking to implement our model on their campuses. So really all three of you, Mario, Candy, um, Don, what advice would you give to university leaders that are considering founding their own version of Root Bay College at their institutions? Well, I'm happy to go first, uh, Father Steve. Uh, you've been very flattering about uh, Candy and me, but all three of us, uh, the rest of us on this conversation would say, you personally are a hero for having the vision to create Arupe College and now to try to bring similar colleges to other communities in the United States. There is nothing like Arupe College, to my knowledge, uh, in the US, uh, except for the partner come to believe campuses that uh, have been set up by you with your advice elsewhere. 
uh, why. It is very low cost. It is small with an intense focus uh, on graduating the students who enroll and on seeing them, the majority wishing to do so, enroll in four-year places. I think any university that has a chance to partner with a come-to-believe come network really ought to think about it. And if there's any way to do it, I think that university and its community will benefit immensely by partnering with you with Come to Believe and creating a college like Lupe College. I echo Don's words, Father Steve. It takes a really strong leader, and you have served as that model, hands down, for Arupe. Um, what I will also add is we, we talk about what we're offering students like Mario, but what we also want to think about is what students like Mario bring to our campuses. So I would say to leaders of institutions talking to, and I'm actually talking with some of them as well, what really is important is understanding how to integrate these students because what they bring is magical. And we have partner college presidents of partner colleges that have said to us, these students have changed the culture of our campus. The conversations in the classrooms are different than they used to be. Our students see the responsibilities and the commitment that undocumented students have to their education, and it causes them to think maybe I should have. So I really encourage them to think broadly about what these students are bringing to the, the campus, the culture, the community, and really leverage that because that's the real gift to the institution. Amen. I couldn't agree with you more. Mario, how about you? What advice would you give to university leaders thinking about uh, uh, doing an Arupe College? Uh, if they have the opportunity to, you know, open or found their own version of Arupe College, I, without a doubt, you know, um, you know, Arupe College itself is is the product, and it's a great example of what uh, of how to better essentially a community and what it could bring, right? Uh, but also uh, be the voices of the people that um, don't necessarily have a voice, right? Especially the university leaders and colleges considering. Um, a lot of the undocumented communities live, live in the shadows. So sometimes you don't necessarily know that these opportunities are there, right? So a bit of a university and a college leader is essentially outspoken about these opportunities, then that's when... Um, the communities blossom, right? Because you, you once again, you you find that sense of belonging. So that would be my my two cents there. <laughs> well, thank you for that, and Mario, thank you for sharing your voice with us, particularly this afternoon. You know, as Candy said, um, it's just been a blessing for I'm sure Don and Candy through the years meeting Arupe students and other Dream.us scholarship recipients, and. You know, I've learned so much from you and your classmates and other students at Arupe that this is what, you know, I would hope would happen on so many other campuses. Don and Candy, thank you for your extraordinary life-changing work with the Dream.us. Mario, thank you for your extraordinary leadership and uh, sharing your wisdom and experience with us today. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you, Father Steve. Thank you, Father Craig. Thank yeah. you.
this has been another episode of come to believe the podcast if you enjoyed today's episode give us a review it really helps us to continue to grow the podcast and if you want to learn more about come to believe visit www.ctbnetwork.org thank you again for all your support until next time keep believing